Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Have you been enjoying our mikvah.org podcast? We invite you to dedicate an upcoming episode in honor of a loved one. Please reach out to podcast at mikvah.org. Okay. All right. Hi, everybody. Um, I don't know. I, I'm seeing a bunch of new faces, so then I feel comfortable to, um, to start with the story that I start with. I love it so much, but people that have heard me before have heard the story before. Um, and the reason why I tell this story, let me preface with this with you are all at the last class of a six um, session series. And um, if there's one thing, we know what we learned a lot of things about Taras Mishpachah, but there's one thing that we learned about this mitzvah is that it's not always easy. And we understand the brachas, and, but it's not always easy. And um, there's a beautiful story that I like to tell that illustrates um, what happens when we do a mitzvah, any mitzvah, with simcha and a little bit of dedication. And the story, if you want to read it better than I'm going to say it, you can go on to Chabad.org and it's called Rabbi Gavriel and the Coins. But I'm going to tell you, and if you know the story, indulge me, that's fine. Um, Rabbi Gavriel was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, and he was very wealthy. And he fell upon hard times, and he lost all of his wealth. And one of the things that um, was challenged at that time was pidyon shvoyin. People were put in jail, and the Alter Rebbe would collect money to release them from jail. And he used to rely on Rabbi Gavriel for a certain amount of money to help with this mitzvah. And um, he sent one of his messengers out to go to Rabbi Gavriel to ask for you know, a certain amount of money, and Rebbe Gavriel could not, Rebbe Gavriel could not give him the money. He couldn't do it, and he felt terrible about it. And his wife saw how upset he was. He was upset about something, and she said, what's wrong? And he told her, he said, I usually give this amount, and I can't give this amount, and I feel terrible. When his wife heard this, she went ahead, and she sold um, all of her jewelry, everything, all of her valuables, everything. And all the coins that she received for selling her jewelry, she took every single coin and she polished them and she shined them. And then she put them in a bag and she gave them to her husband. And she said, here's the money, go bring it to the Alta Rebbe. And she <coughs> took And Rabbi Gavriel went to the Alta Rebbe and he gave the Alta Rebbe the bag of coins. And the Alta Rebbe took the bag of coins and opened it up on his desk. And then he looked down and he became very lost in thought. And um, he said to Rabbi Gavriel, he looked up and he said, from all the valuables that were dedicated to the Mishkan, nothing shone as brightly or as beautifully as the mirrors of the Kir that were, what do we know about the mirrors of the Kir? The mirrors of the Kir were donated by the women in um, when Maish Rabbeinu asked everyone to donate their valuables, what did the women bring? Their copper mirrors. What did they use these copper mirrors for? They used these copper mirrors when they, um, when Pari said to kill all the boys, the men were ready to divorce their wives. And the women knew from a deep level of your Shemayim and understanding that there's no way that this is what the Abishter want, wanted. They went into the fields with their mirrors and they seduced their husbands to be with them. And um, 
these mirrors were the first things that, that came as valuables to the Mishkan, and Maishra Benu wasn't sure if he should take them. And he asked Abishar, should I take these mirrors? And the Abishar said to him, Chavivim alai, they are precious to me. So what was the altar of saying? That nothing shown in the base in the Mishkan as great as these mirrors, which the women donated, and which they got on Maseris Nefesh. I didn't know what was going to happen. And he asked about where he got the coins, and he explained where he got the coins. And then he became lost in thought again, the Alter Rebbe. And he picked up his head, and then he benched Rebbe Gavriel with children, long life, um, extraordinary wealth, and tremendous wealth and extraordinary chayim. And every single one of the Alter Rebbe's brachas came true. Um, the Rebbe, Rebbe Gavriel lived to 110, his wife lived to 112. They had children. He regained all his wealth, and his wealth, and he is known as Reb Gavriel Neisechin. All because his wife didn't just sell her jewelry, didn't just take the coins. She polished the coins. She polished the coins, and I'm, I'm assuming it was a little difficult for her to do. And she, this is how she performed the mitzvah. So when I tell this story, it's with every mitzvah, but this is a mitzvah that everybody sitting here knows that we keep on a daily basis. We, it's in our minds all the time. Where we are, where we're doing, where we're holding, what do I have to do? Yeah, and again, it's, the brachos are outstanding. And sometimes it can be challenging. So just when we're completing this mitzvah, understand that we want to try at our best of our ability to complete the mitzvah with joy. So we're culminating this series of classes with a class on intimacy. And I like to, I'm gonna like change the words a little bit only because when we talk about, um, when we, first of all, I wanna say that if anybody has any questions, um, I'm happy to take them, but I'm not gonna promise to answer them in this setting depending on the question. It depends on, it depends on the question. So I wanna be very upfront about that and I wanna say that, like I said, depending on the question, um, absolutely, please, please, please ask questions, but I'm not going to promise that I'll be able to answer it in this setting. I have no problem. If you call me, if, like, if you, I'll tell you to reach out to me. So I don't know if there's, I don't know how everybody knows about this, but you take down my phone number and I'm happy to answer it if I feel that it's not something to be, to be um, answered, you know, in this setting. Um, but I am actually like, look at this with all the air quality. Look how many people are here. Yay. Yay. Yay for us. Good for us. Right. My husband, I said, my husband didn't let me walk here. He made me take an Uber. I was, cause on this block, there's no parking. Right. And I remember when, um, so the idea is when we talk about intimacy, the real thing, and I, I want to approach this from, from a perspective of how do we bring the Abister into this part of our lives to the most intimate part of our lives. How do we bring, so to speak, the divine divinity into this part of our marriage? And well, what is the Abishter asking of us we're going to talk about? And, and really, we have to understand there's a lot of layers to, to what, we're going to, what we're going to try to talk about tonight. And we know that we know one thing. A Jewish marriage is based on one um, key point. And we all understand that a Jewish holy marriage is made up of three partners. It's made up of a husband, a wife, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Under the chuppah, we all committed to the Abishter's prescription for a Jewish marriage. And our marriages are based on the basic tenet that by, have, that by having Hashem as our third partner, we are going to be bringing Kedusha in. We are going to be bringing the divine, so to speak, into your homes. And when we do that, what purpose are we filling? What ultimate purpose? To create our dear B'tachtayna. 
Ve'asu li mikdash v'shachanti b'saycham. Create for me a mikdash and I will dwell there. This is what the Abishar is telling us. And each and every one of us sitting here, we have created our own mini base hamikdash, our mikdash mat, where the Kedusha dwells. This is what we want. We're making our homes holy, sacred, kadosh. We have to understand that what does kadosh mean? Well, throughout your daily life, you are all bringing, you might not even realize it, through everyday acts, we're bringing the Abishar in. When you make a bracha on that Danish, you're bringing the Abishar in. When your husband wraps his tefillin, that leather is now being elevated. What does it mean when you bring the Abishar in? It means that you're elevating. It is to the exclusion of all others. That, and we do it all the time. We don't realize it. Now, specifically today, we're going to be talking, tonight, we're going to be talking about um, bringing the Abishar Kedushad into your intimate life. And how do we do that? How do we make that happen? And what are like the, I guess you call it like the necessary ingredients and the moving parts to make that happen? And there are a lot of moving parts to this to this recipe to, you know, there's, there's, I'm going to try to touch upon as many of them as I can. There's communication, there's halacha, there's hashkafa, there's practical tips, and, and every single one of them is important. But when, we, when all of those work together co- like cohesively as a cohesive unit, they really create the experience and intimacy that we want. They, um, but it's important to understand before I begin, and this is very, very important, that every single one of us living here are living um, our own experiences. We all have um, different marriages, different challenges, and we're all at different stages in our lives. We don't all have the same relationships with our husbands. Everybody sitting here is different. And what we are talking tonight, what we're going to be mentioning tonight and talking about tonight, hopefully will be helpful in whatever stage you're at, whatever stage you are in your marriage. But keep in mind that everything that I'm saying tonight is helpful and useful in a basically healthy marriage. What does that mean by a healthy marriage? It means that you have respect between the two of you, understanding between the two of you, and an ability to work through your differences. Um, and and I'm gonna try to place I'm gonna try to place some focus on like our changing needs and intimacy as we age and as life changes. I'll do the best that I can. So one of the things that I ask my colleagues when I start teaching. By the way, I'm a college teacher. My name is Ruthie Sperlin. I just said that first, right? Um, uh, that's how this started. Is I ask them to do me a favor. And it's a hard favor. And I ask them. I say, imagine that that. I said, I say to them, I know this is going to be difficult, but it's impossible for any, you know, my colleagues when they're sitting to sit here and not have some basic or more than basic um, degree of knowledge about intimacy. It's not possible if they're inundated with it, be it in books, movies, billboards, music, or Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever other form of social media there is. I don't know about. Um, it's impossible for them not to have that knowledge, and. One of the things that I ask them to do is I ask, I say, I'm not telling you to forget what you know. I'm absolutely not, it's impossible. What I am asking you to do is take what you know and put it here. Put it on the side and give yourself a clean slate to try to absorb what I'm saying beside what, besides what you know. You know, I always tell them my favorite question is, yeah, but my friend told me. I'm like, those are my favorite questions because guess what? Maybe what your friend told you is true. Maybe, it, maybe it's hype, maybe it works for her. 
So what do I ask of all of you? I can't ask you, are you, we've all experienced intimacy. We understand a lot more about it. But what can I ask of you? You can't stop and think to yourself, what part of your day, what part of your life that you live can be affecting your intimate life in a positive or a negative way? Something that you see, something that you're reading, somebody that you follow. Like that's what it's called Instagram. You follow somebody, right? Um, tell me if I'm using the wrong words. Um, how does that affect you? How does it affect the Kedusha in your home? Does it hinder it or does it elevate it? And you have to be really, you know, introspective and you have to be really honest with yourself to answer that question. But that's what I'd like to ask of you as we start. So we have to start at the very beginning and understand where in Tyra is the mitzvah of intimacy. And there are actually two. There are two mitzvahs in Tyra regarding the mitzvah of intimacy. What are the two mitzvahs? Adam so number one is Pruravu. First mitzvah in the Torah um, is the mitzvah of Pruravu. In order to create children, we need to engage in intimacy. That's mitzvah number one. What is mitzvah number two? First, what is mitzvah number two? Mitzvah number two, we, we what is it? It's written in Torah that a man, when he marries his woman, his wife, sorry, is obligated to provide his wife with three things. What are the three things? Number one, he's obligated to, to provide her with food sustenance. Number two, he's obligated to provide her with a home, clothing, shelter. And number three, he's obligated to provide his wife with mitzvahs oina. What does mitzvahs oina mean? Mitzvahs oina means pleasure and physical intimacy. And I just like to explain, all of us know oina from our oinas on our calendar, but what does it mean oina? Oina in its definition means a time period. Uh, right, we have a time period where we have to separate, same idea. A husband is obligated to set aside time for his wife for intimacy. And aina has a second meaning. Aina also means to respond, to answer. He's obligated to respond to his wife's needs in intimacy. This pleasure in intimacy is encouraged. It is a virtue. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. This is what we want. And I want to point out that these two mitzvahs are not connected. If you are pregnant, the mitzvah of Aina still applies. If you are in menopause, the mitzvah of Aina still applies. If you're on birth control with a heter from a rub, the mitzvah of Aina still applies. They are completely separate. It's important to understand. Now, when we talk about it, actually says, the mitzvah says, Yismach ishtoy ledavar mitzvah. A man is obligated to ensure that his wife has pleasure in physical intimacy. She has to be physically satisfied. Now, Tyra encourages this physical pleasure. It's a beautiful thing, but there's also a framework and there's guidelines for what we do and how we behave when it comes to intimacy. And then like with that fame framework, our like intimate life kind of falls into place. And the details are left vague and they're left vague on purpose because every one of us is living a different life. And we have to tune into each other as a couple what the other one needs. And that tuning into each other is crucial. That tuning into each other is key. So what we want to understand also then, step further is, where does the, this, the concept of intimacy and kedusha where are they connected why are they connected where does that connection come from so we have a source in the Torah. where's the source in the end of parsha shmini i think the eighth to the last puzzle something like that there is a three-word phrase 
What is the three-word phrase? The three-word phrase is v'hiskadishtem v'hiyisem kedoshim. There is an actual mitzvah for every yid to make themselves holy. If you sanctify yourself, you will be holy. And this is talking about specifically in this parsha all of Abishur's mitzvahs. But right after parsha Shmini is what parsha Tazria. And what does it say? The beginning of parsha Tazria, like some of the first words, v'haisha ki Tazria. A woman when she conceives, alluding to intimacy. And then Rashi asks, Lama Nismach Parshas do the Parshas. Why are these two Parshas? Why are these two subjects connected? Well, this is the answer. We are connecting specifically Kedusha to intimacy. This is where we see a connection. Because really, in order for intimacy to take place, only three things have to be in place. You have to be married. You have to be Tahar. And there has to be mutual consent. That would be enough, technically. But that's not enough. How do we as Hasidim live our lives? Kadesh atzmecha b'motrlach. We take what's allowed to us, and we take it a tefach hecher. We take it a little bit higher. And understand something that v'his kadishem v'yisem kadoshim, I just want to point out, that every single thing that we do to get to the mikvah, Shivanakim, Hefsiktara, Shilas, Hafifa. All of that is part of his Kadishtim. That is you sanctifying yourself. That is all a part of it. But when we talk about making, taking it a tefach hecher, we have to understand there is that word again, Kadosh. What does it mean? Practically speaking, how do we accomplish that? And sometimes, like, it can seem a little bit like daunting to do that or, or out of reach to be so holy. And, and it's not. You really can get there. So we have to really understand what's the ultimate goal. What is the ultimate goal and, um, that we want to achieve as a couple in intimacy? There's one main goal. And that goal is unity. We want to be completely united. What does that unity mean? That unity means a complete, whole absorption in each other. Complete focus on each other. And it's a kind of like a three-pronged unity. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's all three. No distractions on all levels. Not physically. Not emotionally not spiritually. You want to be connected. You want to be sort of bittle to each other, tuning into each other, being there for each other. What can I do for you? She said it before, but Adam yada eschava. Why does Torah use the word yada to allude to intimacy? Because yada means knowledge. And when you know someone, deeply you can do for that person and that is what we want that deep level that deep intimate knowledge of somebody else you know das is loshon his chabras loshon of um his gashras a connection and that is what we want and when we are tuned into each other on this deep level it actually enhances your physical pleasure and like i said before tyra is connecting well, Tyra is encouraging this pleasure, but Tyra is connecting the physical and the spiritual. And the Rashi's Chachma teaches us and explains us that Kedusha is the concept of unity, 
of being united. That means that when a couple is together, when they are intimate, they don't view themselves as two separate people. I like to say intimacy, it's not one, one plus one is one. You are becoming one. And Rashid Chachma says that when a husband and wife come together, benefesh, their souls are connected. And when they come together, begof physically, hakadosh baruch echad. The Abishter rests within that oneness. And that is what we want. We want to draw down the Shekhinah when that there is that, that complete oneness between a couple. In, in, in Yiddishkeit, the highest level of Kedusha comes from that pleasure. And it's like a reward. The pleasure of that level of unity, the pleasure is your reward for that level of unity. And you know, during Shlesh's Meagbala, men were not with their wives in preparation for Matan Tyra. Yes, but after Matan Tyra, they were told to be with their wives. After the awesomeness of literally hearing the Abishur, they were told to be with their wives. After that level of Kedusha, yes, because that level of unity is such a high level of Kedusha. Um, I don't know where it says it in the Pasuk, but I can get it for you. I could absolutely get it for you. But I know that they were instructed to not be with right, their wives. Right, that I know. I was wondering about Matantara. About Matantara. Right. They were told to be with their wives after Matantara. Where I could, I could try to find out. Um, I think it's where Moshe said they should go back to their homes or their houses. Could be, yeah. Okay. Um, so then now, let's go back. How do we get there? How do we achieve that level of oneness? How do we achieve that? So let's start with the physical. Because really, what's physical is the easiest for us to control. Are the easiest distractions to address. I mean, so what does physically mean at a practical level? So yeah, I would usually pick up my phone. Phones, huge distraction. It's not enough for your phone to be on the night table. No, not enough. It has to be like airplane mode. No, no lights going off on your phone. That is a major distraction. One of the um, Reasons we talk about this a lot throughout intimacy on a halacha level, hashkafa level, kedusha level is that intimacy takes place in darkness. And one of the reasons is really because when it is dark outside and dark in the room, we are able to. First of all, our doorbells are ringing. Second of all, our phones shouldn't be pinging as much. And third of all, our kid, our, we shouldn't be getting knocks on the door from you know from children that are knocking on the door. And 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 it's just a quieter time, so we're less distracted. But darkness in the room as well allows for us to let go a little bit more easily and to be more comfortable. And um, I say, if you still have a house phone, you know, maybe you could put your house phone on. I don't know if we're coming down to be able to do that. Shut up your house phone volume. But then when you need the phone, you can't find it. But it's figure Take the phone off the hook and then. But I, you know, that you know something that I have that my house phone was disconnected for a long time for whatever because Verizon couldn't figure out why, and we just put it back. We just redid it, and now the the, the busy signal doesn't stop. It used to stop after like five, ten minutes. It doesn't stop. I had my, one of my eight o'clock touched on Shabbos, and then he left, and it was literally going on Shabbos until the battery died. Um, maybe just take it out of the room and then take it off. Of. Um, and again, it allows women to be more comfortable, and when we're more comfortable, we are more easily able to let go. What does being there spiritually mean? Being there spiritually means ascent. Again, like I said before, being bittle to each other. Um, have that connection. Being like in sync sort of, knowing what you can do for the other one, what they can do for you. It's not about you. It's not about what can you do for me. No. It's a bittle to each other. We want that level of zivog, that level of connection. Big kedusha, uvatara, that we are like kibasar echad. And 
this is what we want. But we have to also talk, most importantly, about the emotional connection. Because the emotional connection is hard. Because we had a hard day. Um, you had a fight with your boss. You might get fired tomorrow. Um, and then you're going to have, you know, Parnassah to be worried about. Um, one of your kids is about to get kicked out of school. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of emotional stuff that we all have going on in our lives that distract us. Or you're, you, you and your husband are in the middle of having a disagreement. So obviously we know that we have to resolve those disagreements before we can engage in intimacy. But the other ones that just kind of bog down your mind that you can't, if you could do, you could do your best to talk it out with your husband. You know, what's the plan? What are we going to do if I do lose my job? Whatever it might be. Um, but one of the beauties of intimacy, one of the beautiful parts of intimacy is that when we're in the hachanas part of intimacy, in the arousal part of intimacy, it does have the ability, if we are, you know, if we give ourselves over to it, it does have the ability to push things aside for a little bit. It does. That's part of the beauty of arousal. That's what arousal does. If you allow yourself to be there, to be in that zone, to kind of be distracted for a little bit, it can do that. But again, that obviously requires a level of letting go. And, but that's part of the beauties of it. So we want that ultimate connection, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And then we have to explore what might be getting in the way of those connections, because there's stuff in our life that might be. And one of the things that we have to talk about that's crucial is the idea of privacy. Privacy is a fundamental part of Kedusha in intimacy. It's a crucial concept in order to achieve that level of connection, that level of unity. You know, in halacha, the term kedushin, like I said before, means to the exclusion of all others. You know, that we married the Abishter at Harsinai. And the first two dibras, the Abishter said, in one breath, Anarchi Hashem Alekecha, and Lesi Yelcha. I am Hashem, I am your Hashem, and there shall be no others. Your marriage is exactly the same. I am for you, you are for me, to the exclusion of all others. No one knows when you're going to mikvah. No one knows what goes on in your ultimate li- in your intimate life. Nobody should know. We don't want to know what's going on in anyone else's life either. So first of all, just sharing and comparing notes is such a breach of privacy. But even beyond that, understand that what works for you as a couple might not work for someone else. And it can hinder your intimate connection and your intimate life. And it's something that you have to really think about. And... You know, another thing that I really, really, two parts that I want to talk about when we talk about privacy. One of them is um, the idea of this new trend kind of that's out there, and that is couples hanging out together, couples having Friday night meals together, couples going on vacation together, couples going out to dinner together. Um, and it's and it's not a healthy practice. It's one of the things that when I speak to my colleagues, I speak to them about it three different times throughout our classes. That's how strongly I feel about it. And I want to say it doesn't matter your age. Age is irrelevant here. Age doesn't matter here. It's um, every couple acts differently. Every couple behaves differently. Every couple and you know connects differently. And then having the actions of one couple or a person or their behavior on your mind or on your husband's mind, it, 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 it can't be helpful. And it's easily avoidable. And if you find that this is a something that you find yourself in, that you see happening and you're having a hard time 
um, avoiding it. It's really something that you have to stop and think about. And you know, there's like there are ways to 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 kindly, gently get out of those situations. I want to point out that I'm not saying never. I'm not saying never. I'm just saying it's not a healthy practice to engage in um, frequently. And and then again, when something becomes the norm, when something becomes the norm and it's the cool thing to do, we stop questioning it. So again, I don't know where everybody's up to here that I'm sitting here, but if you have you know, children that are married or that are almost married or ready to be married, this is something that, this is a topic of conversation that you could bring up you know, just passively. How it's, you know, what, what's, what's good, what might not be so healthy about it. And the same holds true, there's a second thing that I really feel strongly about and that is social media. And um, anybody who knows me, I don't think anybody sitting here really knows me that well, but anybody who knows me knows that um, I just don't get it. I just don't. Now, again, I'm going to point out that um, it's not something that I understand, and I do see. I do see the benefits. I do see my sister runs a friendship circle in LA, and it would not be anywhere near as powerful and as and amazing as it is if not for social media bringing people to her friendship circle. I see it. I get it. Um, but beyond that, I just don't understand. I don't understand the obsession. I don't understand. Um, because to me, when I look at it, what do I see? I see a culture of oversharing. I see a culture of, of sharing things that would normally never, ever be shared. They would be so like just for you and just for your family. And suddenly the whole world knows that you're on vacation. You know, uh, um, I'll, someone shared with me, uh, uh, I don't remember, just, I, I don't understand. Why do I need to see your vacation? You're on vacation. It's, I don't care. And and the and and what's interesting is, it's not really real. That's the thing. That's what you have to understand. What you're seeing, and you know, this is okay. So none, usually, a lot of times, I give classes in my house. And what will you see in my house? As you'll see, I have a little obsession with family pictures. I do. Um, a healthy, healthy obsession, I think so. Um, and you know, I have rabbit pictures on one wall and family pictures on the other wall. And my kids look fairly normal. They do. I'm not going to say they look perfect, but they look from, you know, my mission was as long as I have everybody in the frame, I don't care if they're smiling or crying, as long as they're there. Um, and, and, but you don't know the, the, the fight, the pinch that one sibling gave the other before I got that one shot. And you don't know the lollipop that, that was in my hand. Just, I'll, just, just stay there and then you'll get it, right? Because you see what I want you to see. Um, it's not real. And again, when it is a, um, when it's a couple sharing their private moments, um, don't believe what you see. Don't believe that couple that's sharing their whole, you know, vacation. They're only posting what they want you to see. And that's what you have to remember. And it's really important that it's kind of like fiction because they're staging what they want you to see. And, and again, even worse is comparing yourself or comparing your relationship to that couple is can also affect your shalom bias. The truth is that their relationship is between them. And what happens between you and your husband is between the both of you. And it's special and it's beautiful and it's unique to you. It's what works for you as a couple. And again, when we share our intimate life or our pictures that are very, very personal, it's taking away your what's unique to your relationship. You are sharing it now with the whole world. So again, I'm gonna go back to, I don't know the age of everybody that I'm speaking to, and I don't, but one of the things I would tell you is if anybody here 
is you know at the stage of having children marriage marriageable age i would tell you be on top of your photographer what type of photographer are you hiring what type of pictures are you going to ask your children to take what type of pictures are they going to post your kids might be all they might not even know have the discussion with your kids and with your children and with the photographer and if you have to pay a little bit extra so they don't post personal pictures of the chasen kal it'll be a good three hundred dollars to spend it's not fair but it's a good three hundred dollars to spend but again going back to each and every one of us in our individual relationship Posting a picture of, of, a, of a husband and wife in a clearly not um, sinuous pose, you know, where there's clearly PDAs, public displays of affection, goes against what our abundance say, and it diminishes the beauty of your intimate relationship. It makes me a part of your intimate relationship. And you don't need the world to see your close bond. It's not necessary. And, you know, when I teach my colleagues, this is what I tell them. When we talk about harchakas, when I'm done with harchakas, I go to the flip side, right? And I tell them, I said, what you really want is that feeling that you get when you hold your husband's hand for the first time, you want that feeling when you hold his hand 30 years down the line. And it's possible. It is possible. But it's only with if you're careful, not just with harchakas, but you're careful when you're allowed to as well. Where are you doing it? How are you doing it? And who are you doing it in front of? And again, um, you know, there's a story, I don't know, in the Nishay newsletter, this is going back, I'm gonna say almost decades, of a couple um, that was driving in their minivan with all their kids in the back seat, and they're driving down the road, and um, and and they stop at a stop at a bus at a at a light, and right next to the light where they're stopped is a is a bus stop, and at the bus stop is a couple in open display of major affection, and all the kids in the back seat of the car are going, ew, gross, it's so gross, and the mother's dying in the front seat because she doesn't know what to say, and the father turns around and looks at his kids and he says, it's not gross, it's okay, they're just doing it in the wrong place, it's private. It's private and it's not the place to do that. And he kept driving. The idea is it's not, another thing I would say to tell, to speak to your family about is we're quiet and private about intimacy, not because it's shameful, not because it's embarrassing, but because it's exclusive and it's private. It's yours. And that's the only reason why we don't talk about it in an open way and why we're careful with the words that we use. We never want to become desensitized. And when we talk about it that way, it loses that, that, that uniqueness. And so again, to everybody sitting here, the next, if anybody's on social media or they're a poster or a sharer, think to yourself, is what I'm sharing helping or not? What purpose is it serving? Ask yourself that question. Because ultimately, as Eden, what do we want to remember? We want to remember that privacy is what kept us safe as a nation. When Kali um, Israel were traveling through the Midbar and um, Balak hired Bilam to curse B'nai Israel, and Bilam was sitting on his donkey all set to uh, unleash a whole slew of curses, what came out of his mouth? How goodly are your tents, O Yaakov, your dwelling places, Israel. What did he see? Well, he saw that every time we packed up and traveled and then we picked up our tents and we traveled and we set them up. Every time we set them up, it was, we were careful that no one could see inside each other's tents. We maintained a level of privacy throughout all of our travels. And that, because of that modesty and that privacy, Bilam was unable to curse us. He wasn't able to. It, ha- it does keep us safe. And when we talk about 
this concept of privacy, there's another, another level of it. And that is um, when we have that emotional connection and we have a, um, and how to protect it and how to enhance it, we want to also maintain a level of dignity in our intimate life, in our bedroom, in our bedrooms. And what does that mean? Well, there's the concept of Shivisi Hashem Lenevdi Samid, you know? Hashem is always standing before you. So when we feel that the Abishter is there, we behave differently. And being aware of Hashem's constant presence will cause a couple, or hopefully cause a couple, to act in their private life with a level of dignity. So in Hilchas that's where we see these halachas, in Kitzur Shulchan it clearly lays out the guidelines to intimacy and to how to keep it dignified and refined. And it says that we both should be fully unclothed so as to be kibasar echad as one flesh, and then we should be fully covered with, with, with a blanket up to your shoulders. Intimacy needs to be take place in darkness. Again, it's interesting to note that the provision of being intimate in darkness is there to protect a woman and her feelings and her sensitivities and to help her be comfortable. A husband and wife should be Panim el panim, like the kruvim with the husband on top and the wife on bottom. This is how we keep zivug intimacy refined and dignified. We also have to be aware of our comfort level. This is important. Um, what we feel comfortable doing, what we, we feel comfortable wearing, what we feel comfortable, um, how we feel comfortable behaving. And intimacy is a journey that we are, that a husband and wife take together. It's important to remember that. You're on a trip. You're on a journey that like everything changes, you know, things change as we go along this journey. And some things feel good and some things don't and some things that we feel good, but then afterwards we don't feel so good about, we don't feel good about it afterwards. That's normal and that's okay. And then guess what you have to do? You have to talk about it. You have to communicate about it. This is where that emotional connection comes in. Because if you don't talk about what you weren't so comfortable with, then Maybe the next time you're together, you're a little bit distracted because you didn't, didn't talk about it and, and you're just not there and you're not tuning in. And you have to be open and honest about what makes you feel comfortable. And don't do what's not okay for you. And the interesting thing is that we all know that we also, you know, as time goes by, we also change. You know, our, our bodies change, um, our level of energy changes. Um, what arouses us changes, and the same goes for men too. It's not just us. Um, they go through many changes as well as they get older, um, and we change and we adapt. And we try something else, and we see what works within the parameters of halacha and the guidelines, of course, and we make it work. And we work together to make it work. That's the point. We work together to make it work. A couple can always and should always reach out to a rub if they feel they, they need something new or something different that they're not sure about. Even if it seems as though this is what it says in Allah, there's no, there's no room for, there is room. You just have to reach out. You have to reach out and ask and there is that room. We have to respect our bodies and respect the fact that our bodies change and we have to like be aware of those changes and kind of stay up to speed um, with your intimate life so that's moving in the right direction. We want to enhance our connection by possibly exploring new things. We want to feel comfortable. How do you feel comfortable? By making sure, speaking to Rob, that it's okay. And besides the three Isurim, what are the three Isurim? The three Isurim are Haitsa'a a man can gaze at the genital area, and And as a man can't kiss the genital area. And even within these Isurim, I want to point out, 
even within these three asurim, there is room to speak to a Rav. Now I want you to keep that in mind. There's room to speak to a Rav. And again, this concept of dignity can enhance your connection, and that is what we want. Another point that we want to bring out, another real way to um, do this is by respecting the roles of Mashpia and Makabal. Um, so in today's day and age, it seems as though the roles of male and female, masculinity and femininity are kind of blurred. Um, and they're not quite as defined as they used to be. You know, like in my house, I do not take out the garbage. In my house, my husband does not clean the bathroom. It's okay. We're good. We like it that way. I don't know everybody else. My, my husband does like to cook, I will say that. And my husband does like to wash dishes, and I hate washing dishes, so it's great. But I'm just saying, there's these roles. My generation, we have, we do. There's these roles. We, that's just the way it is. They're kind of blurred now. And, and, and for today, I'm not telling everybody that, everybody, you know, but there is one part of your life where you want these roles to stay, where you want to maintain these roles. And that is in your intimate connection, in your intimate life. What does that mean? What is a mashpia? What is, let's first talk Zahar and Akeva. The Abishter created the world Zahar and Akeva, male, female, masculinity, femininity and there are natural traits and tendencies innate born natural traits and tendencies along with zahar and akeva what is the natural innate tendency of zahar of of of, of, of a male to be a giver to be a provider to be a protector to be a mashpia that is his job a man gains his greatest pleasure by knowing that his wife is gaining pleasure from intimacy. That's how he's the happiest. That's respecting his masculine energy. What is Amakaba? What is Nikeva, female? The natural innate tendency of femininity, of Nikeva, is to be protected, to be pampered, to be provided for. And when we respect that role in intimacy, when we trust our, you know, our spouse to such a degree that we can let go and make ourselves vulnerable. Now, mind you, it's his responsibility to make sure that you trust him, that you can make yourself vulnerable. But in that vulnerability, you're not taking. It's not that he's giving and you're taking, no. It's a give and a give back. When he sees your pleasure, you are giving back to him. That is the relationship of Mashbi and Makabal and intimacy. And, and we want to respect that. And I, I really want to point out one more thing when it comes to the concept of Mashbi and Makabal and protected and provided. I really want to point something out. Being a Makabal does not make you weak or meek or less than. Not at all. I, I will willingly say out loud that my true natural nature is not so meek. I try. Um, but what do I mean by that? What is a mashpia? Mashpia is compared to the sun. What do we know about the sun? The sun is always giving, always on, full of energy, constantly giving. This is the mashpia. What is the makabal compared to? The makabal is compared to the moon. Is the moon ever the same? Never. It's always changing. It's always in flux. How do we as Yidin live our lives? According to the moon. 
The moon is very powerful. It's just subtle and quiet in its power, so to speak. I don't know about the rest of you, but I know that if I'm having a bad day, before I walk in the door, I'll call my sister, I'll vent for 10 minutes, and then I'll walk in the door. Because if I walk in the door without that vent that I have to get out of my system, my whole family feels it. They all know. And if, you know, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, like if I walk in, it's just, is it fair? I don't know. But it's the truth. That's the way my, that's the way it works. I, we create the energy, the atmosphere in our homes. I don't need to be the 10th for a minion to know my power. Thank God, I don't need to be the 10th for a minion. I'm so grateful that I don't have to be the 10th for a minion. That's a big stress. I, I don't want that. I don't need to be um, the head of the table. And I, I I'm happy because I know where my power lies and how powerful I am without, not without, I know how powerful I am. This is what the Abister gave me. And when we understand that about ourselves and we, rep, and we really, really respect those roles, it can enhance your intimate life. It should if we're really, really understanding, the deep understanding behind it. And then that takes us to the last point. And that is in terms of the Kedusha part of intimacy. And that is once we know that we have power, understanding the power that you have. Understanding it and respecting that your guf is powerful. Neshamas are brought down into this world through the body of a woman. Our, our physical guf is powerful, yes. Husband can be attracted to your, to your guf. The Abishter created us with this level of power. And you never want to become desensitized to each other. You to your husband's body, your husband to your body. So how do we maintain that sensitivity? Well, Nida allows for that sensitivity. Two weeks out of the month, you're pretty much covered up. But even when you're tahar, be mindful. How am I walking around? It's like, if you're careful, you're ne- you never become desensitized. We never become desensitized. What exactly are you walking around there? How are you walking around? Are you walking around in your bedroom? I don't want to say naked in your brown underwear, or like how? Say if you're more modest, then you'd be got your. Meaning you never become desensitized to each other if you're seeing each other's bodies in that level of on. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Unclothed. Right, right. Unless you're in the context of intimacy. You know, walking into the bathroom while the other person's in the shower. I don't know. Just you don't want to become desensitized. How do you do that? Even when you're tired, be mindful. So that's what I mean. I'm not be recording. Okay, so. Um, when so those are some of the moving points of, and you know that we want to really really get to, and ultimately what do all of those moving parts bring us to, to that level of unity? That's what we, the unity is at the top, and all those other parts, privacy, dignity, all of that lend to the unity, and then of course what do they also lend to? They lend to the level of pleasure and intimacy. They enhance it. They make it better. But, you know, one of the things we really, really have to understand, and, you know, one of, one of my kalas once asked a question when, I, when, when, he, when we went through the three things that, uh, that a husband has to provide for his wife. She's like, I don't understand. Why is pleasure and intimacy number three? Like, why isn't it, like, happiness? Or why isn't it wealth? I would, my only answer to her was the fact that it's number three shows how important it is. The fact that it's number three, can you live without food? Can you live without a home? That's how you have to view your intimate life. That's how important it is. It should never be, you know, put on a shelf. Like, we don't have time. We don't want that. It's the way that you connect exclusively 
as a couple. So what we really have to understand about intimacy is communication. Communication is key. So anybody my age, maybe a little bit younger than me, will understand what I'm saying, but I don't come from the generation of um, open communication. Um, I come from the generation of, you know, stuff that stuff down, pull up your, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and move on. Um, I, this is good, Nick might get what I'm saying, is she? Um, I'm not saying that, it was, I'm not saying my way is the right way, the wrong way. I will say one of the positive things that I find teaching college nowadays is a lot of them are growing up in, in the generation of really open communication, maybe a little bit too much, but when it comes to this, they're pretty, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with a certain degree to the level to which they're able to communicate with their husbands. And I think it's great, but what do I mean specifically for all of us sitting here that might not be from the generation of, of communication or anybody, and is that communication is key. Communication is a huge part of making your intimate life work. It is, um, we have to have, it's open, healthy, practice communication. And, and it's something that we have to constantly work on. You know, as I mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, that our lives are always changing. And your intimate life and your personal journey is also changing. And how do we navigate that? How do we work our way around it? We, again, what are you comfortable with? What do you like? What do you not like? And how does it work for you? And the same goes for your husband. Because if your body changes, what you like changes. And what works for you changes. And we have to really, really, um, we don't want our intimate life to suffer through these changes. And you have to be aware, is, is, be aware of what's changing. Is it a physical change? Is it just an emotional change that's going on? Um, you know, this used to feel good, but now not really. You know, be aware of kind of what's going on in your body. And kind of like, think about the even the arousal points in your body, what used to work for you. Um, you know, we all know that there are stages in intimacy. You know, there's desire, there's arousal, there's climax. They're all part of it, and they all move along with us. So we have to remember, like, maybe we have to take a little bit more time in the hachan as part of intimacy than we used to have to take. I kind of feel like sometimes you have it figured out and we've got this and it's good and then, you know, your body changes again and that's normal. We have to know that it's normal. You know, what, what you have to also let your husband know. You have to let your husband know where you're holding. He has to let you know. You know, what part of your body, what parts of your body need a little bit more attention? Um, does clitoral stimulation work for you? Uh, how do you, how do you relay what you need? How do you discuss it? You know, there's, um, a co there's a concept, a fascinating concept that's, you know, the it's called the, H, the HDS and the LDS. I'll talk about it a little bit more. It's called the high desire spouse and the low desire spouse. Very common in a marriage. And how do you address that without making anyone feeling bad? I'll talk about it a little bit more with practical tips about it. But um, first and foremost, what do we have to remember? Respect and menschlichkeit um, is the most important. You have to talk respectfully. And it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And it's the words that you use. The words that you use, um, we obviously want to use words more like I felt this versus you did this. Because then what's the reaction? More of a defensive reaction. We also have to think about, is this the time to broach this topic? Is your husband running out the door to work and he can't give you an answer and then you're feeling like he didn't answer you and he you know, didn't care? Um, you have to really think about those things before you broach the topic. Um, I like to say sometimes, you know like when you write a text or WhatsApp and you're like about to press send, you're like, that's a little harsh. I'm gonna delete that and I'm gonna re-say it. You know, kind of like say it to yourself in the mirror out loud or something to that effect. So you could just hear what it sounds like or how would you wanna hear it? Think of it that way. Um, it's, it's important that you really think about it because we don't wanna hurt anyone's feelings, but we want to have 
the discussion. Um, when we talk about as we change and as we, you know, move forward in our life, we want to understand, you know, how, like there are basic questions that everybody has. You know, like I get this all the time. So how often is normal? Like in a, like to be intimate, like what's the norm? And, and when, what time of day? And all these questions. So it's important that we address them so that you know that there is guidance for this. When we talk about the frequency of intimacy. So right now we're talking about the frequency. The question is, why do we even ask? Well, one of the reasons why we ask is because it used to be the standard practice, I don't know how many generations ago, but it was generations ago, that um, the, the accepted practice was a husband and wife were intimate on mikvah night and Friday night, and that's it. That's not for our generation. We have clear, clear um, guidance that that is not for us. So then what is the norm? What is the average? Again, the average. Actually, I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. One time it was mentioned maybe in the Gemara somewhere, like Tamid Chachamim, people at work. There was like different, like, do you ever read that? I don't know exactly now, but I remember it was Tamid Chachamim. There were workers, there were people that... Right, but all of that is, all of that is kind of, I mean, I don't know who's Tamid Chachamim now, so I don't know how we differentiate that now, but all of that is kind of been like, we're all, I guess, let's put us all in the same playing field, right, so to right, speak, right. on that respect. And what is the average? And, and the average for a two weeks nida, two weeks to hire a relationship, on and off, two, 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 is two to three times a week. Now, does that mean that more than that is not okay? That's not what I'm saying. But let's understand. Ish alef yudshin. Isha alef shin he. What letter do they share? Ish. Ish means what does fire represent? Passion. We want that passion. That's what we need. We need that chemistry. What letters do they have different? The Yod and the He. What do the Yod and the He represent? Hashem. The Hashem. Hashem is in your marriage. Hashem is within there. And you want to remember that we, you know, we want to make, we want to really be mindful of if our, you know, we're trying to keep the spark alive. Are we, you know, resorting to certain behaviors and intimacy that afterwards we're not comfortable with? And that's where we have to look at each other and reevaluate and be like, you know what, I wasn't, there's nothing wrong if we just like take a break, it's okay. That's okay. And, um, but we also have to think on the flip side. Wait, it's been a week and a half and where, where have we been? What's been going on? You wanna stop, you wanna think about it, you wanna look at each other. And again, um, there's probably very, very normal reasons why that happened for a lot of us. But we have to stop and evaluate why. Um, you know, you're, you know, you, your your husband got a new job and he doesn't come home till every night till till 10 p.m. and and because he can't leave and then by the time he comes home you're sleeping and well that's where we have the idea of planned and spontaneous intimacy. You know, when we think about planned intimacy, no one should think like, what I have to sit and get a calendar and plan my intimate life. Well, honestly, well let's stop and think because sometimes, you know, first of all, mikvah night is planned. And sometimes Friday, for Friday night is planned for some, right? But yeah, planned intimacy might mean <clears throat> when you realize a week and a half since you came home from mikvah, you really haven't had time that you and your husband say, okay, you know, you your husband messages you, you know, don't make supper tonight. I am bringing takeout. You know, cooking, cleaning, shopping, chopping, takeout, paper paper plates, everything, and you understand what he means and. You message your husband. I'm going to make a special supper tonight. He understands what it means. Hopefully, he'll make it a priority to whatever, whatever. Again, we all have different experiences. Um, you know, you're you're 
for a week and a half, the flu was flying through your house and there was another kid throwing up and sleeping in your bed and for normal reasons, you know, things weren't working out. Um, that's when planned intimacy comes into place. And when I mentioned before the concept of um, high desire spouse and a low desire spouse, it's really important to understand what this means. That you can have a, a couple that is committed and you know, close and communicative, but just one of them has a higher level of desire than the other. It's normal. There's nothing wrong with a person who's higher desire, and there's nothing wrong with a spouse that's lower desire. But how do we meet through the concept of planned intimacy? Why? What happens is the high desire spouse can be can feel constantly rejected, and the low desire spouse is going to feel bad that they're rejecting their spouse. They just can't. They're just not in the mood, or they're too tired. But what can planned intimacy do? Planned intimacy can allow for the high desire spouse to anticipate and know that you know this is what's gonna happen and the low desire spouse will know that they're not going to have to say no and no, but this is what I'm prepared for and they can kind of prepare themselves for that. Um, and I think, I think it's something to really keep in mind as we age and as we're, like I said, everything just takes a little bit longer and it's not as, you know, spontaneous intimacy is fantastic. I'm not gonna, that's wonderful if you're both ready and in the mood and, and it's a type of, and, and it's okay. And it works practically speaking for you in that minute of your life. You know, when we, you know, one of the things that I wanna also point out is um, we know that Friday night is, it's, 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 it's a holy time to be intimate. And somehow for a lot of us, Friday night, we're just, you know, so what we call the sleeping malach comes Friday, Friday night, and you're like, right? But really what we have to understand is when there is a tremendous amount of kedusha, there is a tremendous, the zel the countervailing force that wants to take away from that kedusha. And, I mean, all of us know what's today. today's, this week, today's, today's Wednesday, right? So all of us know, it's not a surprise to anybody sitting here that Shabbos is coming in two, in two days. Um, not only that, we know exactly to the minute when it's coming. There's no surprises. But I would venture, I would venture a guess that um, of everybody sitting here, maybe I don't know. Okay, I'll say, say differently. Eighty-five percent of homes chaos, error shops, abject chaos. Table's not set. The kids are fighting. You're nervous. Um, everyone, you have to buy milk. I always laughed at myself. Why do I have to buy milk on Friday? Why can't I buy it on Thursday? It's so much pressure on Friday, and we're not going to finish it on Friday. Like, why? Um, everybody has to get into the shower at the same time? Must? Like, you, you can't scatter the shower? No. Uh, why does it happen? So if you're an organized person, I, and I'm a pretty organized person, logically speaking, it doesn't make sense. Logically speaking, it does not compute. So I always said, like, I grew up in a house where both my parents worked all day and our shops was chaotic for a reason. It made sense. Other than that, so some, I got an explanation. This explanation changed my life. And what was the explanation? When did Chait Eitzadas happen? Chait Eitzadas happened in 18 minutes. And because of that, the Avishter gave the Sitra Achra, the Klipa forces, the Yetzir Hara, permission to come in and siphon away the Kedusha that is about to come into your home because we... Nine, 18 minutes before Shabbos Around the uh, No, the whole, day. the whole day. The whole day it's there. You don't feel it like... Um, no, I understand. So. No, it's all there. So what did... But, but it, that, so that resonated with me. You mean that there's actually this force that's coming in and making me nervous? And make... When I had an explanation, I, me, Ruthie, was able to work for myself to change. So what does that mean? Today in my house, Wednesday, Shabbos started. Today, I have a massive meal on Shabbos day. 
today I made my, I did, I did certain things I did today. Certain things are going to be done tomorrow. So, and ever since I heard this explanation, I'm not going to say with a hundred percent success, but I am ready before the first siren benching left. My kids might still be fighting. And then I tell them, you know, that's your Shabbos, it's our, and they get mad at me. So I try not to say it, but that's really what it is. That's really, really what it is. And only because I know that it's there. So just keep in mind that it's there on a regular, a lot of times there's that, that negative force on a regular mikvanite, it's there. And it's there also even more so on your mikvanite's Friday night. There's this added level of anxiety and stress and how am I gonna get ready and how am I gonna get to the bath and how, all of that is there. What you really wanna do is you wanna put yourself in a mindset, maybe on Thursday, what can I do today so that tomorrow's prep will be easier? for mikvah. What can I do so that I, I only have to take exactly 30 minutes and not a minute more? How can I make this happen? Yeah, you could get into that mindset. On a regular mikvah day, you want to get into that mindset. What am I looking at today? What am I reading today? What can I do to make this day easier for myself? Because there is that negative force. There's going to be a tremendous amount of kedusha in your bedroom that night. And those kleba forces want that. So just keep it in mind that you can, through planned intimacy and through planning and understanding between the two of you, it can be. And again, for some of us also, the in, there's kind of like this level of anxiety for some women that they have to be intimate on the night of mikvah. It kind of stresses them out. And I get that, and it's normal. And if, if, that, if anybody here is experiencing that, I'm happy to be talk, talk to you about it and figure out ways to make it a little bit easier for you. But again, try to recognize where is it coming from. What force is it coming from? And then, um, and then you could deal with it. Um, well, another question that we get very often is, 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 is it okay for a woman to initiate intimacy? And it is, it's okay. It's okay for a woman to initiate intimacy. We just have to be careful and mindful of the words that we use. A woman is not allowed to ask or demand for intimacy in a crass or brazen way. Um, it has to be subtle, it has to be so classy, so to speak. Um, we have a beautiful example on the Torah of Leah Imenu initiating intimacy with Yaakov. Um, Leah was talking to Rachel one day, and her son Ruvain comes towards her with a bouquet of Dudaim. Dudaim were a well-known fertility flower. And Rachel saw these fertility flowers, and she asked Leah if she could have them. And Leah responded, it's not enough that Yaakov is going to come to you tonight, but you also want my flowers? To which Leah responded, Rachel responded, no problem. Yaakov can come to you tonight. I'm going to take your flowers. And as Yaakov came home from the fields, Leah stepped out of her tent and she said to Yaakov, Eli Tavai. There are even some of Farshim that say that she didn't actually use words because really we can also let our husbands know what we want without using words. For some of us that works. But again, this is the story of Leah and Yaakov and who was conceived that night? Yisachar. And Yisachar, who came from Yisachar? 200 Rashi Sanhedrin came from that union of Leah and Yaakov and Leah initiating intimacy. I'll get, I'm sorry? You didn't say what you said. Eli Tavai. Eli Tavai, come to me. I always, yeah, Eli um, When is the right time for intimacy? When? Again, there was a time, generations past, when the accepted practice was that intimacy took place after that's like midnight, 1 a.m. We have clear directives from, from our Bayim that this is not for us in our generation. What do we wait for? We wait for tzais. We wait for tzais outside, and it needs to be dark inside. 
But does this mean, going back to my example from before, that you had a week and a half of, you know, you know, different kids in your bed every single night that you push it, practically speaking, couldn't find time for each other, and finally everyone's in school, and it's a legal holiday, and your husband is at home, is home, and it's just the two of you, and it's quiet, and, it's, and you're sitting on the couch together, and one thing leads to another, and you're both ready for intimacy, that you have to stop and say, nope, let's wait for tonight. It's okay. Go to your room. Pull down the room darkening shades. Make it dark, and it's okay. I'm not saying that it should be something that's done with intent or something that should be done all the time, something to reevaluate, how can we... But again, this is how important that connection is, that we have to make those moments when we have them, when we understand the, what, what we're dealing with in our life at that moment, at that time. And of course, of course, of course, you have to communicate, I said it before about what you like and what you don't like and what works for you and what doesn't work for you and as you change, exploring that as well and your husband exploring that as well, what works for both of you. One other thing that we have to talk about and that is the idea of um, when we see, when we feel that there's like a bump in the road in our intimate life. One of the very, very strong connections that we see when it comes to you know, our mikdash ma'at, so to speak, in our intimate life, that is, um, your bedroom in your home is your kaidish hakadoshim. It is the holy. It is the holiest room in your house. Um, and we know about the kaidish hakadoshim. It's actually written in Gemara that the kaidish hakadoshim is a cheder hamitos, the bedroom. It's referred to as a cheder hamitos. And we know in the kaidish hakadoshim, in the times of the Beis Hamikdash, when Yid, the Yidim were um, having obviously Yisrael and doing Torah mitzvahs like the Abishter asked of them, and just getting along. In the Beisamek, in the Kodesh in the Beisamek, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, on top of the R and the Kruvim, we're in a loving embrace. And that feeling of love emanated out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And everyone in the land, so to speak, could feel that the Abishter is gladness with us. And when we were not keeping Torah mitzvahs, we were not doing what the Abishter wanted, we were not having obviously show what was going on in the Kaddish HaKadoshim, the Kruvim were back to back. And a negative energy emanated out of the Kaddish HaKadoshim. And everyone felt it. So the same idea holds true with your intimate life. When your intimate life hits a bump in the road, and it does for all of us, it happens. We're human. We have different experiences. We, have, we hit bumps in the road. You feel it too. You know, when your intimate life is going along in a beautiful, comfortable way, you feel it, you feel good, it's in your mind, it's in your heart, you feel yummy and cozy. Yeah, and then when it hits a bump in the road, you also feel it. It's in your mind, it's in your heart, what's going on? Why? We, it happens to all of us. The question is, how do we know when it's bigger than just a bump in the road? How do we address when, when you know, our regular lines of communication are down and something's not working and why might it be happening? So there's a really basic guideline that that we that we suggest when it comes to this issue, and that is when, let's say for example, you um, become nida, get your period. Okay, it's not hard. Chakas aren't so hard. You do everything you need to do. You do your hafsiktari. You do your shivanikim. You go to mikvah. You're with your husband. Eh. You're just not feeling it. There's not much anticipation. You're just not feeling it. You're not in the mood. One cycle comes and goes, let it go, don't worry about it, totally fine and normal. A second cycle comes and goes where you are feeling these same feelings. Your husband might be feeling these same feelings, not you, it could be him. 
just like disinterest, no anticipation. Um, put up in your mind a little pink flag, like you know, this is weird for us. It doesn't usually work out this way. What's going on? Um, if a third cycle comes and goes with the same feelings, either you or your husband, disinterest, lack of anticipation, and you're not able to talk about it, and we're talking about it isn't getting you anywhere, put up in your mind a red flag. That's not a red flag that things are, you know, disintegrating, no. The reason why we give this short timeline is simply because we don't want that bump in the road to get bigger. We don't want it to be this immovable boulder that you can't, you know, scale through over around. We want to address it as soon as we can. Because fact is there are very normal reasons why this might be happening. You know, uh, you had your, you know, your third baby and your pelvic floor shifted. And every single time you're intimate, it's painful. It doesn't take much for your brain to start associating intimacy with pain. And once that happens, arousal is not really working. It just doesn't happen. Um, you're taking a birth control pill with a head of a rub that's affecting your, horm your hormones. You didn't realize it. First month, second month, ah, third month, light bulb, this might be what it is. Um, your husband's taking a medication, anti-anxiety medication, depression medication, blood pressure medication, thyroid medication. All of these medications, I'm not going to say mess with stuff, they help us, but they affect other parts of our body. We have, and it might take a while till you recognize that. You have to address it. You have to call the doctor, speak to the doctor. These are regular, physical, normal, you know, um, men experience erectile dysfunction issues. They're not so keen on getting it checked out. They'd rather ignore it and not take care of it. That's where we come into play and we say, let's see what we can do. Let's figure out why this is happening. And we gently encourage them and we gently help them because we want to get back on track. It can be an emotional connection that your emotional disconnect, uh, you know, you, you have asked your husband repeatedly to please, please be home for bedtime. You can't do it yourself. You're exhausted, you're tired. And he says he's going to be there, and he's just not there. And you're doing it yourself night after night after night, and you're just exhausted. And, um, yeah, that's an emotional disconnect. You know, intimacy can be read as into me see. That's what it is. You're seeing into each other, and there's a disconnect there. He's just not getting it. You know, your husband has asked you, you know, we're struggling right now financially. We're having a hard time. I need your help to bring us back out of this ditch that we're, that we're in right now for whatever reason. And you're being a little bit careless. You're not really caring. And it's literally bogging down your husband's emotional, mental, everything, energy. That could be a reason. Now, this is where mikvah.org is um, priceless. Mikvah.org, I don't know how many of you, I don't know how everybody knows about this year. I'm assuming from mikvah.org, but it could be from a friend. Mikvah.org is, is an unbelievable resource. They have a full list of referrals because your communication isn't working. You need outside help. Could be a coach, could be a therapist, could be a psychologist, could be a psychiatrist. Who knows what, it, but you have to reach out. Where do you go? Go to mikvah.org slash referrals and there is, there is guidance there. It's there for you. Use it. Use it and um, help yourself. You know, they have a beautiful, um, mikvah.org has a beautiful series on um, uh, postpartum postpartum depression worthwhile to listen to they have a webinar series that they just not just finished a few years ago called how to talk to your children um super necessary super helpful um mikvah.org doesn't stop they keep upping their game with all different types of shalom bias podcasts 
Um, I actually did an ABC, ABCD safety podcast uh, for Safety Kid. There's everything, there's a lot there, um, not just for this, but we're specifically talking about this. And I want to point out one more thing. I'm assuming whoever did the NIDA class did this with you, but um, no one should ever have to experience extended NIDA periods. Um, I don't know, I, I'll, I'll talk about it again. Um, no one should have to experience that, and, and it's stressful. It could put a strain on a marriage. You want to reach out if that's what you're experiencing. So there is an organization called Taharenu that can help you. Um, that can help you. Um, obviously, anything that Taharenu does tell you or does ask, tell, advise you to do, always speak to a rough to make sure that whatever they're saying, you know, is works halakhically for you. Um, but they, there's even, you know, there's herb. If you're having staining, there's herbs, there's teas, there's remedies, there's vitamins, there's a lot of things that you could do now. It might be bigger than that. It might be polyps, it might be cysts, it might be something. Obviously, you have to get it checked out. But we we want to try to address it as soon as possible because it can put a strain on a marriage. And so obviously, there's like, clearly, like I just said, there's a lot of moving parts and we have to like fine tune it and we have to, we want all the parts to be, you know, working in order with each other. And like I said, it's a lot of ingredients, but these are, we don't want to be stifled by these guidelines. We want to sort of, you know, okay, these are what this this is the parameters I'm working on. The best example that I like to give is, you know, boundaries for what we set for children. You know, which which child is the happiest? The child who comes home from school and he knows that his mother is there. He's got to sit down and do his homework and eat his supper and get to play and then take a shower and get a bedtime story and be put to bed. Or the child who walks in the door, his parents aren't there, he can do whatever he wants, go to sleep whenever he wants. Which child is happier? The first one. We can, we are happier when we live within parameters and boundaries and guidelines. They are not meant to stifle us. They are not meant to um, make our life more difficult. I'm looking at the time, it's 9.30. Am I, am, am I doing a stop or I'm good? Should I keep going because I have more? No more. Everybody's okay with that. Yeah. There's more. Um, I'm sorry. What? It's on the flyer. Eight to eleven. Oh, it says eight to eleven. I'm not saying eight to eleven. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> um, so what? Okay, I didn't even know it said that. Um, so one more part that we want to bring down. No, just as eight o'clock doesn't say eight to eleven. Oh, I'm here. I don't want. I'm just saying. I don't want to. But not but they cancel it from the wind or whatever the air. No, this is just. They did cancel. For me, they they canceled. She she postponed it. I'm guessing it's from the air. Yeah, but for me, it's more of a like you know a Hamish crowd, so she could tell them not. No one. How would we get to everybody? And tell that was part of the thing. Should we? Shouldn't we? We're gonna be okay. Perfect. But I saw that one was 8-11. So, one another aspect that we want to talk about, and that is. we talk about the concept of bringing Kedusha in and Kaddish Atzmucha B'Mutarlach. You know, it's a kind of a question. As Hasidim, we are careful with how we perform this mitzvah. And the question is why? So as parents, we don't have a say in the neshama that the Abishter gives us. We don't have a say. So what do we have a say? <coughs> Where is our say? Where is our input? Our input is, it's written in End of paraphrase of Tanya. If you sanctify yourself, you will draw down a holy lavush for the neshama of your child. That is our input. That is our say, the lavush. What is the lavush? Machshava Dibar Maisa. I guess you can call it the personality. 
the your level of your shemayim. That is where our input comes in. And that's pretty big. And that is what Tanya is telling us. So when, what does it mean, if you sanctify yourself, what does that mean specifically in intimacy? It means that there are holy ways of intimacy. I'm not talking usher and mutter right now. I'm just talking holy. And we should strive that our behaviors here in Lamata should emulate, so to speak, mirror the pattern of intimacy that's happening in the heavenly spheres. When the male and female energies unite, that's what we want to happen down here. And there are four examples of this brought down in the Rashi's Chachma. So number one, we know that the male energy is the Mashpia and the female energy is the Makabal. And again, therefore, going back to what I said before, the woman is on bottom and the husband is on top and they are face-to-face like the Krovim in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, allowing for constant feedback. And again, I want to point out that there are other positions that are not prohibited, but are not what we called refined in the way of Kedusha. But there sometimes arises a need for things to change. There does. And we have to reach out. And there's, there's, there is a hesitancy, and I understand the hesitancy, to reach out to Rav and ask the Rav this question. But it's very normal. And the Rabbanim are used to this question. Think about like what I said before. If you want to change your medication, are you going to do it yourself? Or are you going to call your doctor? Same idea. We have very valid reasons why it's not working here. You're not experiencing pleasure on your back. You're pregnant, you can't be on your back. Whatever it might be. Speak to the Rav and the Rav will guide you and help you. Uh, you know, words, the words that we use in intimacy. Well, let's talk about that. When we are davening to the Abishter, we daven the whole davening out loud, singing out loud. And when are we silent? Esri, the holiest part of davening. Why? Because we express we we express our love for Hashem, but by Esri, we do it silently. The silence shows a deeper connection to Hashem. And and in the hachanas of intimacy, the words of love and words of arousal and words of affection, very important as women. We know we're very audio creatures. What we hear arouses us. But when it comes to the actual union during Tashmish, the connection is so deep and it's beyond verbal expression. So we want to be, we're drawing down the shekhinah, the shekhinah is there. We'll be mindful of the words that we use. It's not really a time for, speak, for speaking. We also know that when we unite, when we're together, we are should cling to his wife. That means that we are both completely undressed. And then finally, we talk, the Rishas Chachma explains the lips kissing and forearms embracing a deep lip-to-lip kiss. This is an inner kiss that you're sharing breath. And his lips are the Yud and the He of Hashem's name, and her lips are the Vav and the He of Hashem's name. And when a husband and wife kiss, the name of Hashem is complete, and thus the Shekhinah is resting between you. And it's a kiss that comes full circle, representing the union Lamata merging with the union Lamaila. It's also written that the four arms, his arms are the Aleph and the Dalit of Hashem's name, and her arms are the Nun and the Yud of Hashem's name, with the same idea that the name of Hashem is complete. Which brings me to the next concept of Kedusha intimacy, and that is having holy Kavanis, having holy thoughts. I want to explain that having a holy thought is not meant to be a distraction. What was I thinking about? Oh, I was thinking. Thinking about your husband and your husband thinking about you is a perfectly wonderful, holy thought. Um, thinking about um, how grateful you are that you have each other is a pure, perfectly holy thought. You can also think about the letters of Hashem's name, if that works for you. 
You could also think about the image of a tzaddik in your mind, if that works for you. But if that doesn't work for you, that's a distraction, and that's not for you. What we really want is that level of unity that I said before, that you're focusing on each other, that you're thinking about each other. Which just takes me to just, I like to, I'm gonna talk about it quickly, I'll go through them, but I'll focus on the ones I think are the most important. We have what's called the nine negative midas. The nine negative midas are the nine negative thoughts, feelings, or intentions, that if either a husband or a wife have these negative thoughts, feelings, or intentions, they do not engage in intimacy because it can affect a child conceived from such a union. Um, what are they? B'nai Sanua is the children of a woman who is hated, meaning if you hate your husband, you hate your wife. Yeah, I'd like to think that a lot of these don't apply in a healthy communicative marriage. So um, you, again, going back to what you hate your husband, you hate your wife, you cannot be intimate. But hate is a very strong word. I mean, like, really think about it. So these are, B'nai Inusa means the children of a woman who is forced to engage in intimacy, and this refers to somebody's own wife. You have to make sure that your wife is ready, willing, fully consenting, and in the mood. B'nai Nidoi, the children of the band, someone's under excommunication, a child conceived during Nido, or a child conceived while either husband and wife or Elena are sitting Shiva. Now, number four, B'nai Mariva, I would say is very applicable. What's B'nai Mariva? The children of strife. If there is anger, tension, friction between a husband and wife, we do not, we are not intimate till we restore love and peace. And in a normal, healthy marriage, I think sometimes there's tension and friction. So I would say it applies. And we talk it out before we engage in intimacy. Um, number five, B'nai Shikras, depending on your lifestyles, the children of the intoxicated. We do not engage in intimacy if you're drunk. Not drunk means drunk. Not necessarily tipsy from a glass of wine. Drunk means drunk. B'nai Gerushas Halev is a children of one divorced in his heart. If either a husband or a wife is 100% certainty that they're getting divorced, they can no longer be intimate. Then there's B'nai Chitsufa. Um, B'nai Chitsufa is children of the brazen, those conceived by a woman who asks or demands intimacy verbally. We spoke before how it's possible for a woman to ask for intimacy. Um, B'nai Irbovia, the children of the intermingled. This is a person who engages in relations with his wife under the impression is an impression he is with someone else, even if the other woman is also his wife. This was at a time when you had two wives, you had to know who you're with. Then we have B'nai Timura, which I would say also highly applicable, and that is the children of the interchanged. What is this talking about? Referring to children conceived by a man or a woman who thinks, has thoughts of another man or a woman when engaging in relations with his or her spouse. And this is why, when I mentioned before that concept of couples hanging out together, couples um, entertaining together, couples, you know, going out together, this is a byproduct of that behavior, that you may have a thought at the wrong, at a wrong time. And that's why we have to keep those boundaries and keep those um, barriers up for a reason. They're there for a reason. They're healthy. And then there's a B'nai Yishena. Some of these are combined, depending on which, you know, um, it's called B'nai Yishena. Um, children conceived while she is asleep. Again, I like to say healthy, communicative, open marriage. You know, where we're talking about things, a lot of these are not really applicable. And what's the, what is the common denominator in those nine? There's no unity there. There's zero unity happening there. They're not connected. They're not focused. They're not thinking about each other. And that's what we want. Um, I'm just going to go quickly through the halachas of intimacy in terms of like the how we engage in intimacy, the when we engage in intimacy, um, things like that, where we engage in intimacy. Like I said it before, in a Kabbalah, a Hashkafa aspect, the room, um, there has to be full um, 
skin-to-skin contact. Um, if he's wearing his talis cut, then that's allowed. That's between a husband and wife. You have to, you have to be fully covered. Um, there is a minhug from the Zahar to try at the moment of Tashmish to cover your hair. We know that for intimacy, for shalom bias, your hair is allowed to be uncovered. How does that practically work? How do you cover your hair at the moment of Tashmish? So you could, if you're not claustrophobic, you could throw the sheet over your head, your blanket over your head. Um, you know, some of us, if you have a lot of pillows, you know, the pillows around your head could kind of work as a hair covering. Or just keep a beanie to hold under your, under your pillow. And it's simple and easy just to throw it on. Um, the proper for in, position for intimacy, again, is um, hulam, uh, he's husband on top, the wife on bottom, and we're face-to-face. And again, if there's a need, you speak to rub to change that, and the room has to be dark. These five things that I just mentioned apply to actual tashmash. Meaning, any part of hachanas, any part of foreplay, whatever you're comfortable with, when you want the lights off, that's when they go off. When you want to be undressed, that's when you get undressed. Your comfort level is key. We know when it has to happen, but if you're not comfortable until all the lights are off to start anything, then that's okay. Then that's fine. We really, really, we have to understand what can help you let go better so that you can in, in, you know, be more present and tune in better. That's what you want to keep in mind. Where does intimacy take place? Well, it's, a, it's forbidden to, have in, to be intimate under the sun, the moon, and the stars outdoors. And a tent is fine. The proper place for intimacy is on a bed in a bedroom. Um, engaging in intimacy in a private manner is halacha. To have a lock on your door, you're a guest in someone's home, bring your own sheets, you don't want to leave your discharge on somebody else's sheets. Uh, halachically, intimacy is allowed with a sleeping child in your room. Um, if that child is awake, they can't yet have the ability to speak, but also think about how distracting would that be if the child is awake. That's between the two of you to talk about. Obviously, it has to be dark. How dark does it have to be? Dark that, you know, when your husband's above you, you can make out his features, but pretty dark. No no lamps, no candles, you know, the glow from your alarm clock, that would probably be it. Um, any sparm and holy objects are not permitted in the room during intimacy unless it's double covered or placed in a closet or in a, in a piece of furniture. Share malas on a, on a bassinet has to be covered. Um, how do we prepare ourselves, um, husband and wife, for um, intimacy, before intimacy? So again, before I tell you all these steps, I want you to understand that these preps for before intimacy do not have to happen directly before intimacy. They can happen a couple hours before, that's fine. Um, if you say Krishma, say Krishma without Hamapil before. Um, it's a minhag to wash Nagelvas for before. Um, it's a minhag to say Kapetel Chav Gimel before intimacy. And it's a min hug to say atifa bekitva. I used to say that it's um, men uh, or women. Yeah, I used to say men, and the rav who went over my notes told me women could say it too. And could or should he? I'm not gonna should. It's in the krishma, right above hamapil. It's like the part that nobody sees. And I show it to my colleagues, and they're like, "What? I didn't even know it was there." And it's right there. There's also a whole thing about what I'm about to say about before intimacy, a husband and wife should wash, you know, say kapetel chav gimel, wash nagelvaser beforehand, all, and then afterwards sprinkle water. All that stuff is right there. We just like if we're not paying attention to it, we're not paying attention. Um, and one more thing that I want to point out, and that is if either you or your husband walk into the bathroom, even if you don't use the bathroom, you're just going into the bathroom to wash your hands. You're going into the bathroom to blow your nose. From the time you exit the bathroom, nine to 12 minutes has to pass before actual tashmish takes place. 
Hachanas are not a problem. We'll go, just walking without, and I ask the question if the toilet seat is closed. I ask, you know, if the toilet is behind its own door, that's a separate issue, that's fine. But if you, the idea is you want um, the tumma of the toilet to leave your body before you make that, that connection. After intimacy, we want to be mindful to wipe any zera off of our skin, your skin, your husband's skin. That's why I say have a dark washcloth, dark hand towel on hand just to wipe yourself off. Don't look at your skin. You don't want to see things on your skin that you don't want to see. Uh, wa- washing negavas or after intimacy is halacha. Now, if you fall asleep, that's fine. When you wake up, go wash negavas. Um, reminding everybody sitting here that we do not want to get a urinary tract infection. How do you avoid getting urinary tract infection? urinate after intimacy you want to flush the bacteria why does the bacteria develop well think about it there's you know natural lubrication there's zara there's friction friction creates heat heat creates schwitz schwitz creates bacteria that bacteria likes to go right up into your urethra your urethra opening do yourself a favor urinate after intimacy it's a minhug to sprinkle water on the side of the bed where intimacy took place it's also written there in the little paragraph um that's an inion from kabbalah and then you say hamapil um one more thing I want to just touch on, and that is the idea of a husband and wife sleeping together in the same bed the whole night. Um, what I want to point out about this is um, that this is not a, this is not an Indian in halacha. Halachically, it's not a problem. When we talk about it on a hashkafa level, this is where our abundant advise that a husband and wife lay together half an hour, an hour, and then they go to their beds. Um, one of the reasons for this is we want to, you know, your husband might wake up at 3 a.m. ready for intimacy again, and you might not be in the mood. And if you're laying in bed next to him, I'm not saying you can't say no, but it's a little bit harder to say no. And just keep it in mind what works for you as a couple. And then, again, if there's children in, the re- in your relationship, you want your kids to run into your room overnight, and you're in the same bed, and you're at a level of undress, again, Practically speaking, does he steal the blankets? Do you steal the blankets? Does he move a whole night? Does he shits in the bed? Does it work for you? Does it not? Talk about it. Talk about it. This is why our abundant, you know, give this guidance, and then you're a couple. Like we said, communication, communication, communication. Talk about it and see what works for you. So you didn't mention about nursing. So I'm okay. Nursing. There is. I don't have it written down. There is guidance. The reason I, I, I'm pressing pause. Um, there is guidance for how long you have to wait to nurse your baby after intimacy. I do not have the times written down. I am sorry, so please ask a rub. And I want to say something else. I want to say something else. Um, anything that I said here tonight, if you know differently, practice differently, your rub has told you differently, disregard what I told you. I'll call your rub. Absolutely, 100%. That's like the main thing. Like we all live our lives and then we have the rub that guides us how do we live our life and please, please, please keep that in mind. Now, I want to say one more thing before I stop. And that is I gave you a lot of information to absorb and to process and it may feel a little bit lofty and it can be feel like this pretty big achrayas and um, you know bringing down Kedusha and into your intimate life and maintaining that level of Kedusha throughout your life. Um, it could feel like a lot and it's easy to also feel doubtful and to worry about maybe actions that, of the past. And... Um, did I always have this holy level of thoughts during, you know, Zivog, during this connection? And what can I do for my children that are already born? And can my lack of Kedusha be rectified? And actually, yes, it can. It actually can. And it's written in Sefer Sheikadosh Atzmai. This concept of rect- rectifying the past is discussed. How? So it explains that one who is Mekusher, connected to the Rebbeim, the rectification, rectification can take place. First, by making the hachata from now on to improve in this area and to keep these halachas a little bit more carefully and by expressing that you feel bad for what 
what happened in the past. And that Friedrich Rebbe says that by sending your children to a Maiset of, of the Rabbeim, namely the Rebbe Rashab, the Rebbe Rayat, and our Rebbe will wash, change the Levoshim. Wow. The garments that surround the neshama of your children that may have been created without proper kedusha. The rabbeim can be mitahir; they can purify their chasidim retroactively. The rebbe writes in Igris Kedush, um, 23, page 376, that one way of being mitahir, fixing the past, is by helping and encouraging others to keep this mitzvah. They that can also purify those children that are already born. The lack of kedusha in the past can be repaired. When we say vayitin lecha, we use we say the words what is the connection between the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the earth there is a connection in this safer it explains that just like when a seed is planted and it doesn't grow properly what do we do we go back and we turn over the soil and we plant the seed again and that we replant that seed so it can grow properly a father and mother can do the same they can determine that from now on that they will be more careful they will improve in the area and they can draw down like azria chadasha it says for the planting of the new children so, um, a lot of information, a lot of, um, I hope everybody um, appreciated it, and I'll take questions, but I'm going to stop it for the questions. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.